Okay, you ready? You can hear me okay? Great, we're on? Perfect. Awesome. Let's go. I'm Peter Little, lead pastor at Christ Pacific Church in Huntington Beach, California. We're cultivating a community of faith, hope, and love that follows Jesus into the world. And you're listening to our Sunday Sermons podcast. To learn more about us or to subscribe to this podcast, visit us at cpchb.org. Thanks for listening. Uh, Today is week number four of our four-week journey through the book of Ruth. And uh, I have very much enjoyed spending a ton of time in the book of Ruth, getting to know this story and uh, soaking it in, soaking it up and uh, wondering, God, what would you like to say to me? God, what would you like to say to us as a community? And I hope that some of those uh, things have bubbled to the surface for you. I've been inviting you to consider reading the whole book of Ruth for each of these four weeks. So to read the book through in its entirety, uh, it takes about four times as long as we just heard Ray uh, read chapter four. I think it takes probably about 25 minutes somewhere in there at a leisurely pace to read through the book of Ruth. And the reason I've been encouraging you to do that, and it's not too late if you haven't yet, the reason I've been encouraging you to do that is because the whole book really tells a story, and that story all goes together. It's uh, it's a story that's meant to be um, digested all at once, um, so to speak. And so uh, I encourage you to do that if you haven't yet, to read through the whole story as often as you would like. And, And I think that if you do, you will discover that you are being caught up in God's grand story. Uh, I think that you will discover that you are present in this story told by the book of Ruth because this story recorded for us in the book of Ruth, which uh, took place, by the way, uh, maybe about 1,100 years BCE before Jesus was born. Uh, this story is, is not just about Ruth. It's not a story that's just about her mother-in-law, Naomi. It's not even a story about Boaz, who is um, kind of the hero figure in the story. Uh, and in fact, today we discover that Naomi uh, becomes a proud grandma. Congratulations, like what a moment this is as she gets to hold Uh, her precious grandson, Obed, in her arms. It's an amazing uh, story. But if this story were just about Naomi becoming a grandmother, then that would make it sort of a sentimental, feel-good, fireside kind of tale, right? Where a grandma finally gets her, her wish, her dream, and that is to cuddle her grandson in her arms. But that's not primarily what this story is about. This is not uh, the wonderful, cuddly good news for one grandma 1,100 years before Jesus was born. This is a story about how God paved the way for his redemptive purposes to go forward. The very last things that uh, that Ray read uh, is actually a, a genealogy that leads us to King David. And that's intentional. That's on purpose. Because the story leaves us looking for an ancestor, or rather a, um, a person in the line of David who will be a redeemer even better than Boaz. 
who will be a redeemer, who can redeem more than Naomi's family, but in fact, the whole family of God. So this story points us to Jesus. I have referred to the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's a a picture Bible written with children in mind. Uh, It's a fantastic Bible. And the, the subtitle of the Jesus Storybook Bible is Every Story Whispers His Name. And that cannot be more true than this story in the Old Testament, the story of Ruth, which ironically is not included in the Jesus Storybook Bible. I, I think I'm going to call the publishers there and be like, what's up? Here's a perfect story that, well, maybe it doesn't whisper Jesus' name. It actually shouts Jesus' name to the rooftops. You are looking for Jesus. Uh, that's the story that this, uh, that this book tells. So I hope that you have been invited into this redemptive story. No, this uh, redemption road, or this redemption story, no, we'll call it a redemption road. It has lots of um, hairpin turns in it. It has lots of tight corners. It's got potholes. It has oncoming traffic. There are setbacks. There are roadblocks. There are barriers. And we see that in Ruth's redemption road, don't we? It starts out with Naomi's story. She's dirt poor. She has to immigrate to a foreign country that's not just a a typical foreign country, but actually a country of her enemies. And then in, uh, while she's living in this foreign land, the land of her enemies, her husband dies and both of her sons die. Potholes, hairpin corners, setbacks, barriers, oncoming traffic, all of it is on this road to redemption. So what do we learn? What can you and I learn from this road of redemption? A few things. First of all, for the Christian, for those who are desiring to follow Jesus, we learn that the redemption road to glory involves all kinds of twists and turns. Sometimes they're surprising. Sometimes they're painful. So I want to do a little uh, imagination experiment with you, and it's going to take a lot of imagination. Imagine that your glory destination is Sacramento. See, I told you you'd have to use your imagination. Imagine if you, your desire, your hope, the destination that you were aiming for was Sacramento, California. That's the glory destination. Now, as you know, there are a bunch of different roads that will get you to Sacramento. And since we're generally eager to get to our glory destination, the road that we choose is very often the quickest, most straightforward path. And so we hop on the five northbound through the San Fernando Fernando Valley because that's the quickest way to get to Sacramento, the quickest and most efficient way to get to our glory destination. But what we have learned through the story of the book of Ruth is that the redemption road that the Lord leads us down is rarely, thank goodness, is rarely like the five northbound through the San Fernando Valley. It is the San Fernando Valley, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. I'm not not a local, so, well, I mean, I wasn't born here, so. So the redemption road that the Lord leads us down 
rarely looks like that. It's rarely an eight-lane freeway that's just a straight-ahead path that gets you to your destination as quickly as possible. The redemption road that the Lord leads us down more often looks like PCH. It more often looks like the coast highway, like Highway 1, which has all kinds of challenging curves that you've got to negotiate. There are occasional rock slides, Sometimes after storms, the whole road gets washed out from flash floods. The road disappears entirely. And let's just be honest. Frankly, isn't that what life is more often like? How often is life smooth sailing on a straightforward course up the San Fernando Valley down an eight-lane freeway called the Five? Isn't your experience more often like the Pacific Coast Highway where there are all kinds of surprising corners and curves and potholes and and road construction you got to wait for and then sometimes rock slides. Just when you think you know the way, the way is washed out by a storm. And you know, thanks Tanner for saying what you said earlier has it felt a little bit like the way has been washed out by this storm maybe we should have taken the five we could have been there by now but who wants to drive the five i mean it's so boring and in addition to being boring and not particularly beautiful it just may not be the way that the lord is inviting you and calling you to take Now, some of you were told that following Jesus was straightforward. Maybe you were told this uh, when you were a teenager. Maybe you were told this recently when you came to put your faith in Jesus. You were told that the way of following Jesus is relatively straightforward, that he would make your life neat and tidy, that he would make life easier if you would just follow him. All of these challenges that you're experiencing, all of the hardships of life, if you would just put your faith in Jesus, then all of that stuff would go away. Following Jesus is kind of like driving up the five. It's smooth sailing. But of course, your experience has not been that. You don't resonate with that now that, for those of you who have been following Jesus for a while, now that you know that it so often is not smooth sailing. And sometimes we have told people that too, right? Put your faith in Jesus, trust in Jesus, follow him, and he will make your life easier. We probably don't use those words, but maybe we have communicated that to people before. And out of a really good evangelistic impulse, right? We want people to know the truth because we know the joy of knowing Jesus. And so we'll do anything to uh, sort of convince people, if you will. And sometimes what we mean is, if you follow Jesus, you will know deep joy like you have never known before. But what we end up saying is, if you follow Jesus, your life will be easier. But that's just not true. Naomi's life wasn't easy. Ruth's life wasn't easy. We would like the life of following Jesus to be more like the five northbound, set back free. But it's just not how following Jesus often works. And thanks be to God, right? Because why would you choose 
the five, if you can choose the coast highway and drive up through Big Sur, it's so much more beautiful. It's so much more adventurous. It's so much more satisfying. Yes, it's more difficult. Yes, it takes longer, but it is worth it. And more importantly, that is the pathway that Jesus is calling you down. Do you want to go the Jesus way? Or do you want to go the easy way? So the first thing we learn from Ruth's story is that often the redemption road has all kinds of twists and turns in it. So friends, don't be alarmed. Don't be distraught when you discover or when you experience following Jesus can be difficult or isn't quite what you expected or you experienced roadblocks or road construction or washouts or tight curves. The second thing we learn from the book of Ruth is that there is not, and this is related, there is not a linear relationship between the Jesus way and the ease of way. There is not a linear relationship between the Jesus way and the ease of way. Another way to say that is that the Jesus way is not necessarily the path of least resistance. And we've already learned that today through what Tanner said. Jesus calls Peter out of the boat. Is it easier to stay in the boat or to walk on water? The Jesus way is not necessarily the path of least resistance. Imagine you have three doors to choose from. You're going to walk through one of these doors. This is a choice in life. And you have three doors to choose from. So the question is, which one of these doors represents the Jesus way, the way that Jesus is calling you to go? Now, two of those doors are closed, and one of them is open. Is the open door the Jesus way? Maybe. Maybe not. The open door might simply be the path of least resistance. Do you think that Jesus would ever call you in a direction that might require you to break down some doors? I wonder how Congressman John Lewis of Georgia, the Baptist preacher and the civil rights leader, he died this week. I wonder how he would answer that question. Mr. Lewis, should we go through the open door? Or should we ask the Lord if he might be calling us to break down some of these other doors? So let's not confuse the Jesus way with the easy way. Because those two things might be the same, but I'm almost positive that they are not always the same. And we see that in Ruth's story, right? We see that in Naomi's story. Okay, the third thing that we learn is, is nearly hidden from us. It comes from the lips of that unnamed man who was first in line as the eligible man to be the kinsman redeemer for Ruth and for Naomi. He doesn't even get a name in the story. Apparently he's not important enough to get a name. Boaz asks him if he will fulfill this role for Naomi and for Ruth. Will you become the kinsman redeemer? And in verse 6, this unnamed man responds and he says, I cannot redeem it for myself without damaging my own inheritance. Let that sit in for a minute. I cannot redeem it without damaging my own inheritance. What does he mean? Why is he saying that? Without damaging my own reputation? 
without costing me a bunch of money, without being supremely difficult and challenging. Claiming this right is not the path of least resistance for this unnamed man, and so he turns it down. Maybe marrying Ruth the Moabite would be really bad for his reputation. I mean, remember, she's a Moabite. The Moabites were mortal enemies of the Israelites. Would this hurt his reputation and therefore his whole household somehow? Would it endanger his estate? Would it damage his inheritance? If you remember, he actually said yes to begin with. He said, sure, I'll, I'll redeem it. I get all this land and stuff like that. Sounds great. I'm in. And then Boaz says, and by the way, when you redeem the land, you also will be taking to yourself Ruth the Moabite. And he says, okay, never mind. I'm out. Too costly. This is going to cost me too much. But not for Boaz. It seems like Boaz was willing to pay any price. Why? We'd already seen in previous weeks that Boaz is a man of integrity, that he pursued righteousness. He was a righteous man. We can also see, if we're paying attention, if we're reading between the lines, that Boaz has got a crush on Ruth. Uh, more than that, Boaz loves Ruth. And it's love that motivates Boaz to pay the price. Don't you think that this would have cost Boaz something as well? How could this be potentially damaging to the inheritance of this other man, but not to Boaz? But Boaz doesn't talk about any damage to his inheritance, any damage to his estate, any possible cost that he might have to pay in order to become the kinsman redeemer for Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And that's because Boaz is willing to pay whatever price it takes because he loves her. And the character of Boaz in this story is painting for us a portrait of the Redeemer who would come 1,100 years later, also born in Bethlehem, and who was willing to pay the ultimate price. That at the ultimate cost of his own, well, of his own life, pays the price to redeem the people of God, to redeem you, to redeem me. You see, this story is not just about Boaz and Ruth and what they had going on with Naomi. This story is about the coming Redeemer and you, the coming Redeemer and the people of God, the coming Redeemer and the world that God created and loves so much. Will you get caught up in this story? Will you say yes to the one who has come to redeem you and pay the ultimate price in doing so? Ruth ends with a genealogy, and I also want to end with a genealogy this morning, but a genealogy that comes much later. I'm going to read for you, for you the first uh, several verses of the New Testament. This is in the Gospel according to Matthew this is where our New Testament begins. It begins with a genealogy. It goes for like 17 verses. Um, and if you're like me, you love when you come across genealogies in the Bible, especially if you're um, reading through the Bible in a year. 
because if these genealogies take up a whole chapter, you can skim the chapter like that and you're done. Boom, another chapter read. Yes. Get to Matthew chapter one, skim through that. This is 18 verses of names. Boom, done, got it. Read the whole genealogy. That's generally how I have been approaching these things. But if you read them closely and if you know a little bit about the story, then you can see that the gospel is embedded in this list of names. Matthew is doing something very particular here. Matthew is starting his gospel with the good news. This is not just a random list of names. And in fact, this genealogy is not necessarily a strict family tree in the way that we might understand a family tree. That is, it doesn't necessarily include every single generation. Genealogies today and genealogies in the day of Matthew were written for different purposes. Listen to this. An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You see right away, Jesus wasn't actually the son of David. He was like the 30th generation grandson of David. But the point here is that he is in the line of David. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David, and on and on it goes. But if we were, for example, Jews in the first century, and if we were to read this genealogy, we would be shocked. Why has Matthew included the names of women in this genealogy? That is not how genealogies work in the first century. And by the way, since you're not necessarily including every single name in this genealogy, Matthew, why have you included the names of Ruth? That's an embarrassment. She was a Moabite and a foreigner. And why have you included the name of Rahab? She was a prostitute. These are the kind of names that you would intentionally leave off your genealogy. These are the embarrassing names in the genealogy. But you see, Matthew is doing the same that the author of the book of Ruth is doing. Matthew is announcing that Jesus has come to redeem the outsider. Jesus has come to redeem the foreigner. Jesus has come to redeem people who are wrecked. People who feel like they have nowhere left to go. Do you see what he's doing here? Jesus has come to redeem the sinner like Rahab. And as we read the New Testament, we see this over and over again, right? Jesus, he, he's a physician who came to heal the, uh, those who are sick. He has came to forgive the sins of the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Jesus has come to redeem wrecked lives. Lives that perhaps were headed up the five. And Jesus calls them to head up the Pacific Coast Highway. And yeah, you know what? It's actually going to be more challenging. But it is a way better road. Because that is the road that Jesus is on. That's the road that we go on when we choose to follow him. That's the road for misfits and 
prostitutes and foreigners and outsiders and thieves. That's the road for people who have come to the end of their rope and who finally say, okay, Jesus, I'm kind of making a mess of things. So I'll hand over the wheel to you. You take my life. You lead me down the road. You lead me down this road of redemption. For I once was lost, but now I'm found in you. I once was a wreck, but I have discovered that you have redeemed me. And friends, that is the good news of Jesus Christ according to the book of Ruth. I hope that you will get caught up in God's story of redemption. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the book of Ruth. Thank you for the, the wisdom of those who were collecting these stories and for the guidance of the Holy Spirit that passed this story on to us. That we might be given a portrait of what redemption can look like. That we might be given a portrait of what your redeeming love looks like in and through Boaz. That we might be given a portrait of what loyalty looks like through your servant, Ruth. I pray for those this morning who maybe feel lost or broken or bored. I pray, Jesus, that you would speak especially uh, to them. And Jesus, that you would invite them, that you would open ears and hearts and wills to follow you on the road of redemption. The road that says yes to you. The road that says yes to a new life, a deeper life, a more deeply formed life. Not necessarily an easier life, but no matter how you measure it, a better life. A life that lasts forever. Jesus, we love you. We want to follow you. Give us courage to follow you down this redemption road. For we pray it in the strong and able name of our Redeemer, Jesus. And God's people said, amen. Isn't Jesus good? Amen. Come on, Jesus is amazing. joining our Christ Pacific Sunday Sermon Podcast. To hear more of our sermons or to subscribe or to learn how you can be engaged with what we're up to in Huntington Beach, please visit us at C-